Hey, welcome to episode 3 of Into the Van. I'm Mike West, and sincerely, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast so far. We're only three episodes in, but the same way I never take for granted people coming to live gigs, you should never take for granted people listening to your music and your records. I'd never take for granted the people out of everything they can do in this universe and all the books, films, music, art, podcasts, everything that they can enjoy creatively, people take the time out to listen to me rambling into a microphone. I really thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this and I hope you enjoyed episode one and two of Into the Van with Sean James and Crapsons. I've had a blast recording them and it's been really fun to do. Episode 3 is kind of twisting what I enjoy and what I love about the music industry. And I know I enjoy the episodes of podcasts and the articles where they go a bit inside of baseball on the industry. So with that in mind, the guest today is John Craig from Forged Amp and Forged in Fire Promotions. And I wanted to talk to John because whenever there's an interview with an artist... It's always about the artists themselves, how they got started, their creative influences, which are all well and good and really interesting, and I love getting into those talks, but the artist is where they are because of an army of people before them. So for every artist, there's a promoter, there's a booking agent, there's a venue, there's a sound guy, and if you aren't listening to all of their stories and all of their experience, you're only really getting one-eighth of the picture, really. And I want this podcast to show as much of the full picture as I can. So I think if you're a musician, this would be really interesting because we're talking with a promoter and a manager and someone who books festivals and gigs. And I think that's a really interesting and valuable perspective to have if you haven't listened to it before. And if you are wanting to get into the game of putting on shows, this is an invaluable podcast for you. I love people who do things independently. And the best thing about Forge Amp and Forge and Fire that John runs is they are all non-for-profit, which in this day and age in the music industry is such a rare and beautiful thing. So there's so many people who want to take advantage of bands and use them for their own personal gain. It's not just for the love of the music, it's for the love of themselves. And that will always end badly as far as I'm concerned. You need to go into it as a fan, passionately, I'm willing to write, like, my favorite saying is, a rising tide lifts all ships. And if you aren't applying that to yourself and your music industry, then you aren't really getting the full story and the full picture, and you won't get the full benefit down the line either. There will be people who are out for personal gain, but all I can say is who will be left standing at the end of this. I know it's not going to be the people who are selfish and wanting to create a name for themselves while shitting on anyone else or dragging them down or taking advantage of people. It's going to be the people who inherently and genuinely give a shit. And that is why I enjoy talking to John. Why I enjoy talking to so many of my friends who are musicians or creative people or podcasts or people who write articles. The the people I know don't do it. They do it for themselves, but because they love it. They love to do it because they're passionate about it. They aren't doing it for any recognition. They aren't doing it for any awards. They aren't doing it for any income because it's the music industry. So there's not any way. They do it because they genuinely give a shit and I like to surround myself with people who give a shit. I don't care what you give a shit about as long as you give a shit. That will always steer you right. As long as you do it honestly, sincerely and authentically, you're going to be in the right place and 
I'll be a fan of yours for life. This episode is brought to you by myself, Mike West. The next life is done. I sent off the masters and the artwork to Deep Grooves, who were pressing the vinyl and making the CDs yesterday. It's the 15th of April today. So I sent them off yesterday. Now it's just a three or four month process of getting them cut, manufactured, approving the test presses, and it will be good to go. So I'm going to drop a little snippet of the next life in a minute, which is a little teaser for you if you'd like to pre-order it. If you'd like to pre-order the next life and support me, for lack of a better thing, if you'd like to support my music, you can head over to mike333west.com slash store and you'll be able to go to my band camp and there's a ton of different digital options there's a physical cd there's a physical white gatefold vinyl which is going to be fucking gorgeous once it's done so i'm going to drop some music for you now and i hope you enjoy it and i hope it whets your appetite enough that you'll head over and pre-order the next life sincerely hope you enjoyed that because i had a blast making it and it's been far too long in the making that i'm so happy to get it out there now and I, unfortunately i'm not able to tour it due to the current pandemic but i'm gonna do it as digitally as widespread as i can because i want as many ears on this as possible and i really hope you enjoy i really hope you pre-order it and you get some value out of it because there's so much good music being made in this day and age and i'm proud to be throwing my hat into the ring with it this week i was also meant to be heading on a european tour with uncle wormwood we were going to be traveling around belgium the netherlands and germany and i was so looking forward to these shows because the reaction i get in europe is what keeps me going for when i do uk shows i love the uk and i've made some great friends and some amazing fans through this but the uk scene isn't as ready for this type of music as i think europe is I absolutely adore playing in the Netherlands with it. The White Wolf in Groningen is one of my favourite venues to play in the world. I'll always play there when I can. And I'm fucking gutted to be missing out on those shows this year. I'm going to be back. We don't know when we will be back. But Brexit be damned. I'm going to be coming back to Europe as soon as I can. Because I just fucking love playing there. I want to do a UK tour. I want to do an EU tour. I'd love to do an American tour. But... We're seeing how visas are. If Brexit goes the way I think it's going to go, I'm going to be paying a lot of for visas. So who knows what's going to happen. But the next life is ready. I'm going to tour the shit out of it as much as I can. I can't wait to get back on stage and do some live shows. 
and I just can't wait to see people's reactions to this because I've put a lot of time and effort into this record. The musicians who have played on it are fucking phenomenal and I truly think you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get on to episode 3 of Into the Van with John Craig of Forge Amp and Forged in Fire. I truly think if you're a musician or someone in the scene or someone who gives a shit about music, this is going to be an interesting talk. We go through country music, heavy metal, what bands should do to approach promoters, and I think this is what the podcast needs to be. It needs to be not only an interesting chat between creative and passionate people, it needs to provide people with some information and some real world advice that can help you in your passionate careers because this is for music but it can be applied to comic books applied to art it can be applied to whatever creative endeavor you are choosing to do as long as you give a shit you're going to be fine my friend so episode three of into the van with john craig i'm mike west thank you so much and let's fucking do this Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Go! Yeah, go from yeah. So it was before Four Jump. What was what? What got you into the music scene, really? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Well, initially, I was born in '61, so for about the first eight or nine years of my life that I can remember. Um, my dad only ever played country music. Mm. Um, my mum would put Radio One on, so I used to get bits and pieces of the Beatles, etc. But my dad was a big Hank Williams, yeah. Hank Snow, Jim Reeves, mm. all those kind of guys. So that's what I got into, and that's what I, what I loved. And then, um, so early seventies, I had cousins that well, a couple of cousins that were seven or eight years older than me and they were like big brothers to me mm. so when i used to go to their house at the weekends i was then listening to led zeppelin the who yeah. jethro tull black sabbath mm. all those guys um so that kind of that's why i got into music in the first place so i had this countryside that i always loved traditional country mm. and then i had obviously the heavy rock yeah once i got to sort of like when i was the age when i was 14 15 16 i started to get into the likes of rainbow and that and then punk came along mm. and as soon as i heard uh, the sex pistols late one night in radio <laughs> it was just that was it the world yeah. ended and started yeah. again so i get really into punk um, and that's when I got into my first band myself. Mm. So there was four of us. Two of us were states ACDC and states co fans, and the other two were punk. Yeah. So we used to split. <laughs> we used to split the sets up. <laughs> so one half of the split the set was that, mm. and the other half was what we like, what the punk yeah. side liked. So it used to confuse people, but that's that's how I started. That's, I think that's the best thing. It would be keeping people on your toes, and then there's not going to be many other bands doing what you guys were doing. No, that's it. And and I think um, even when I, I I stopped playing for a couple of years mainly because I got married and my daughter came along. Um, and then I went back into it. And, and it was really funny because we were a proper metal band. We were a new wave of British heavy metal. We mm. were Iron Maiden-esque, although I couldn't quite shriek as, as good as him. <laughs> um, but the funny thing was, the five of us that were in the band, of the five of us, four of us came from parents who were either into country music mm. or played it. 
Yeah. You know, so it used to be really funny. We'd be standing there with the leather jackets, the cut down t shirts, and, and the long hair, and that. And people would go, we'd be sound checking to burn the ring of fire <laughs> and all this. It's like you could see the confusion in people's yeah. faces, and sometimes even the words of, they're playing that crap, then I'm not staying. But the funny thing was, <laughs> we would play it. Yeah, <laughs> we'd play a co- as a cover. Yeah. we'd never do cover. We were always original, mm. but we'd play a couple yeah, of country songs and rock rock them up a yeah. bit. So it was. It always amazed me that there was this. Uh, into, I, I just felt that there was a kind of an event diagram country yeah. and, and and rock always kind of like sat together. Definitely. Do you think it's because it's still at its core guitar driven music? Because if you listen to like Don Rich and Buck Owens and their lead stuff, yeah, you could easily draw a line from them to Thin Lizzy. Oh yeah very easily and then it's like um one of the things when we come on to obviously before jump one of the first guys i signed is an american mm. country singer solo singer he he's he lives in sweden now but he's originally from the highland area um so of 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 america and he went over to scotland um so it was hogmanay 2019 mm. and he couldn't go he spent five days in the highlands and he couldn't get away with just how much because he went to Cayley and all that mm. uh, like New Year's Eve you can imagine Scotland got invited to a house party went along there's fiddlers and bagpipes and that <laughs> and, and he said it's like he couldn't get away with just how much it was der- the country music was derived from what was Scot- what he said traditional music yeah. in Scotland in fact he wrote a song called Back in the Highlands and I think it's the same thing because yeah. he was he originally started as a rocker you know because mm. as a teenager and he, he was into um, like all the kind of normal rock stuff, yeah. and then found that his his roots came back to him. Uh, and I think it's I think that's what it is. It is guitar. I think also there's an honesty. Yeah. I think there's an honesty in, in approach, and I think there's an honesty in the lyrics mm. sometimes, because um, quite a lot it's it's fanta- fantasy, yeah. it's life based fantasy, you know, or the country stuff. And I think that's why it fits well together. Yeah, yeah I do. I, I think it's probably closer. I think also what helps is I always was drawn to the outlaw side, mm. even though I, w- I was brought up listening to Hank Snow. Yeah, there was always Hank Williams, wasn't there? Mm. And then when Johnny Cash, and then when it came to the American recordings with Rick Rubin, and it, that just appealed to me. Yeah. and the Highwaymen, you know, that just uh, I, I went and saw them live, and it just oh, really? blew me away. I went to see Johnny Cash as well Fuck. when I was about eighteen. It was just fantastic, yeah. and and you know. It's just it was something, and you know what? I never ever, even though I was a a punk or a, a metalhead at any given time or a rocker, mm. I never ever had any of my mates rip me no. for going to country music. And that's quite that's quite unusual. Yeah, but I think that speaks volumes for how open the metal and rock scene is. Yeah, I know because I obviously came up in like thrash and stuff. I was raised on Kiss and Dead Kennedys and stuff with my dad's record collection, so I was always a, like a metalhead always loved that type of music and then after the thrash band ended and i started doing the acoustic stuff i was still like well i still sound pretty heavy and not really country or folk so i'll just start trying to do metal shows and the reception i always get from metal gigs and punk gigs are always better than the reception i'll get from a country or a folk gig do you think that's a that's an age thing though you you know are people coming to country a bit older or i think there's an especially in the uk scene there's an expectation of what a country performer is Oh, yeah. And that can involve backing tracks and pretty much trying to pretend to be American. It's quite ironic, really, though, because when I tried to bring our American country singer, mm. and I mean, he is really traditional. Yeah. He's, he's, he is, you know, it's a honky tonk troubadour. That's what he calls himself when he tours. Mm. Um, but when he came over here, he played a few. He played in Liverpool, mm. uh, and it was quite. 
interesting because when I was trying to get them into country festivals, they weren't interested no. because if it wasn't line dancing or it wasn't cover songs made to let sound country, it was yeah. just or what their what their idea, their comprehension of country music is really say it was. Yeah. I, I was blown away. I, it really changed my attitude because at one point I thought. I can't do anything for this guy. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do. It. I'm going to do it differently. Mm. Why am I trying to comply with that? Why am I not? Why am I not approaching this exactly the same way as I approach rock? Yeah, that was a hundred percent. And I think with the UK scene, because there's a few different organisations in country, like the UK country scene, that have a stranglehold and everything, including the festivals and things. So for like two years, when I was first starting out, and like I'm going to try and do, like not market myself as country, but this is what I love. This is what I do. Surely there'll be a gap in. A country festival or a country bill for me and it was just i was banging my head against the wolf for two years and it's just such an insider's club where there's just a gatekeeping level to it and there's not seems there doesn't seem to be a gatekeeping thing in rock there can be in like the bigger like the upper echelons of things but in like the grassroots grassroots level, i reckon it's because the grassroots scene is much bigger and there's much more mm. people involved in it at a lower level yeah. so they're willing to be more open and to be more helpful mm. uh, and that's what I found I just he kept getting rejected rejected yeah in Europe he's just done a tour of Germany Holland mm. you know Denmark and he's gone down a storm but yeah. over here the so called and you would think actually, ah, well I thought country music over here would be really open but I used to go to I've been to a few like bottlings at Skegness for the mm. weekends and that and I was there for the music, not the line dancing. Yeah. But the line that the music was there for the line dancing, yeah. and it was kind of that thing. And that's that's why I had this road to Damascus experience when I suddenly thought, do you know what? What am I doing here? It's about the customer experience. I just needed to look back to how I was looked upon yeah. as being in both camps, and nobody had a problem with. It. Mm. So that's why I decided to go down the route of, do you know what? Let's do country, yeah. but let's do let's do it like we do with rock. Let's mm-hmm. treat it exactly the same, and I guarantee you, we will attract very similar audiences. Yeah, hundred percent. Because it's cool. Yeah, I think that especially that's what me and like Josh Bettis try to do with road country. Mm. Is we know that there's these certain institutions that have their way of thinking. Mm. So my way of thinking is probably the same one. Fuck you guys. Then we'll do it on our own. Mm. We know that the crowds there. We know the demands there. We just need to give them a place to go towards. Well, yeah, I totally got my eyes open when you sent mm. me the links to that Amigo the Devil. Yeah. And I was like, where, where's this come from? This is literally... I just looked at it and I could... You know, it was country, it was dark, it was it was a bit punky, it yeah. was a bit rapid. You know, it was like it literally taking everything and put it down and distilled it down into his sound. Mm. And, and then when I, and obviously when I started listening to you, I was like... Geez, I, I would I'd buy that. You know, that's that's really good, yeah. uh, and and that's what that's what it is. It's to me. There's only two types of music. Well, no, there's three types of music. There's good, bad, and jazz. <laughs> um, I've always hated jazz. I blame Cleo Lane for when I was a kid. <laughs> she used to be on the TV a bit every other weekend, and it drove me nuts. I've never, it, it just never appealed to me. No. But it doesn't matter the genre. There's good and bad, yeah. and it's as simple as that. And unfortunately, I would say in the UK too much of the bad what i would call bad country yeah. is what's wanted yeah i don't even know if it's wanted to be honest i ran into a woman the other day and she was going to the country to country festival and i was just chatting to her because i heard c to c and i was like the country she went yeah i was like oh who are you going to see and she was talking about all these american acts i was like do you listen to any of the uk stuff she mentioned a few guys who i'm not a fan of they're more like pop and stylized i was like, well have you listened to 
this or and she was like no i don't know who they are and then even i was pulling out american bands to be like if you listen to morgan wade and the step brothers mm. sarah shook and there's songs i was trying to like list other bigger artists and it was still no i was like well do you want to like road country uk on facebook then because you aren't gonna discover what you think is country outside of this viewpoint of c2c and mainstream radio Mm. and it's trying to get people to step outside of that comfort zone because mm-hmm. a lot of the mainstream still assume that radio and the big festivals are the tastemakers mm. and like they just get spoon fed basically oh, I mean I just um, I, I get I get lost with some of the country and it was like I walked a little bit with a band from um, out of Hebrides briefly and they were kind of like bluesy mm. but he was, he was one of the singers was right into alternative country so he started sort of like like sending me links you know but this is when i first started with for jump which was coming mm. up two years ago and he sent me like the cadillac three and i had, I had kind of fallen out of love with it. i hadn't paid any attention yeah. to it so cadillac three and and stuff like that and blackberry smoke mm. and you know and i started listening to it and then i then i find out the, the, the brothers osborne and stuff like that. Mm. and i was like man this is this is great you know i love this um kind of different where they'll bring in they're not scared to bring in different um tight you know different yeah genres into mm. it yeah and a bit different but um i must admit since i started to find out a little bit the darker side the darker side i like it too because it appeals to me i mean it appeals to the it appeals to the um 16 year old motorhead fan in me yeah, that's the thing, because it's, like, the thing for me, especially listening to Amigo, The Devil, and stuff, it's that. Metal, for me, when I was young, was, it summed up what you felt inside as, like, an angsty teenage kid, and not really know how to process things. Which is, of course, what Eminem and people yeah. like that did later in the years, you know, yeah. they did the same thing, and punk did it, I mean, I yeah. was, I was, I was in 14, 15, no, I was 15, 16 when punk came out, it was just me, I was, that was me, I was like, this is how I feel. It was a bad mm. time in the country. It was yeah. terrible, and they came along. And even though a lot, it, it was just pose really. It yeah. wasn't real, mm. you know. I, mean, I always remember the. But it felt, it felt real when you were yeah, in the not, moment. Yeah, in the moment you listen to the lyrics. Mm. I can still remember. I was, I wasn't young mm. at the time when it came out, but I remember driving into work and hearing "Cleaning Out My Closet" by Eminem, <laughs> and they played it straight after mm. it. And I actually sat in the car park to hear that played again. And I was like, man, you know, when you really come out with stuff like yeah. that, it's just those are the kind of seminal moments that that I always made me want to made me listen to music. Yeah, you know, and, and I thought I don't think you grow out of that. No, even yet, when some of my our bands send me new stuff, like you know, I've got King Voodoo doing Liverpool, mm. so they're always sending me their demos. What do you think of this? What would you do with this? So mm. they're very good at including me even though I'm their manager mm. including me because they know I come from a musical yeah. background although I can't play an instrument I never had any patience never mind mm. talent but um, but it's, it's good because I think that that's what it's about it, it should always it should always mean something to you yeah. should always be able to find the person who has some missing their life yeah. and draw them in yeah and I think that's what the darker side of country like Amigo the Devil Sean James those type of things do is that angst never really leaves someone mm. it just you grow up with it you know that it's this is this and I'm going to move on and I think with more of a awareness on mental health and people not being okay mm. you're a lot more analytical of how you feel in this day and age yeah definitely and I think that is a really helpful time for when dark country and old countries come along again I mean like this is 
the feelings you're still dealing with with just putting music to it and it's another manageable thing like back in the day when you were a kid oh yeah and I think it's I think it's needed mm. and I think the fact that a lot of those bands that I named earlier like they are no longer espousing the gun laws mm. in America they don't you know like the way the Dixie checks get absolutely ruined yeah. because of their political stance I find that a lot of the ones in America now are quite willing to not be the conservative country, yeah. and and I think that's where Amiga the Devil and people like that. Yeah. Um, and I, do you know what I think it will? I think it will potentially be a better route to go down mm. in country music, especially in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You know. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so did you see Dixie Chicks just brought a new song? No, no. They just brought a new song called Gaslighter. And I was saying to my girlfriend because it's bullshit how they got ostracized and kicked out of everything for going against George Bush in 2008 around mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. And now everyone's going out against presidents and speaking for political candidates. And if they they must be sitting back and being like, we fucking did this over a decade ago and nearly lost our careers for it. I think if Donald Trump's done anything good in the world, he's made he's made um. The, the country western fans in America yeah. <laughs> less conservative yeah it's just the same way that they worried it would make the dark and the right side like the ugly side of everything come out mm. it's also made the opposite come out mm-hmm. so it's people are being more positive and more critical and more yeah, yeah. hyper aware of things which I think is if there is a good side to all this yeah I think it's I think yeah, it's all that can I'm a a natural disruptor didn't realise I was, but I'm a natural a, a natural <laughs> disruptor, and I tend to look at things as in, all oh, right, that's how they do it, but there must be a better way, yeah. and that's why I ended up doing a lot of the stuff that I'm doing. Not yeah. it wasn't a big plan; it was just looking at what needed changing, mm. and and going for it, trying mm. to find trying to find like-minded people, and I think you need a catalyst for that. And if that's George Bush in America, mm. or it's Boris Johnson, or it's the Brexiteers, or whatever it is. Yeah. It does it we need to get back and we need to break through we need to go through that glass ceiling because i keep hearing people because we're probably going to come on to it with the ford jam thing and the fords and fire but i keep hearing people going so and so is making it mm. i'm sorry there's no rock band making it in this no. country making it is being at the top of the charts and, and 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 really people and making a load of money yeah what they're doing is is they're making it at our level mm. Yeah, you know they're making as in like the the mice get out of the conference league and they get into the first the yeah. second division or the first division whatever yeah. it is, second division they're not going into the, the top of the Premier League no. in music because the, everything's set against it that yeah. happening because the way they've dumbed down young people in particular to listen to music mm. music now is what we used to call elevator music to them. Mm. I have a thirteen year old daughter who drives me nuts because music means nothing to her. It's just a background noise, yeah. but she's not unusual with that. I love her to bits, but her musical taste has has gone awful, uh, and she's no excuse. Yeah, the funny thing is, and this is this is quite interesting because it was her and a friend were in my house over when I lived in West Yorkshire, and Dave Rosewood, the American country singer, was sitting in my living room. We were bringing him over to Liverpool that day to do two gigs, one in EBGBs, mm. and one at the Liver Hotel in Crosby, and um, he was sat. And he's playing his acoustic guitar, and he's just practicing and warming up his voice and everything. And the two of them stood there, mel- you know, mesmerised. So much so that a friend, Molly, when she had a thirteenth birthday, that were down at the pub down the road, 
and um, they had a DJ and my sound, and they actually made them play three Dave Rosewood really? tracks <laughs> to all our friends yeah. because they thought this was cool. It was the first time they'd ever witnessed yeah. somebody. Now, I've, t- I've since taken her, because she's only 13, it's kind of difficult taking her to the gigs that I run, mm. but um, she's she's been to see King Voodoo yeah. once, and she's seen, I think, uh, Joker Among Thieves, and it's like, she's starting to... That's the thing, It's you can't force them to listen. No. to the music so they need to find it at their own speed but then you hope when they do find it they'll love it because I have a cousin who's I'm 13 years older than her so she was about 3 when I was 16 mm. so I was showing her like Black Sabbath and Aussie DVDs and she was taking them away and she was singing them and as she's grown up she's completely dropped that side of things she listens to like Little Mix and stuff that's in the charts and it's they can take ownership and say they like that music but I always ask well have you gone out of your way to find this He's gonna think that's it finds them. Yeah, it finds them, and, and it's also about being cool and fitting in. Yeah, because most kids are pre-programmed to want to fit in. Yeah, with a, around them, and it's like it's one of the challenges that I'm currently working on with both Ford Jump and Forge and Fire is to look at ways of getting in front of young people. Yeah in their terms mm. because nobody's doing that, that I know of no. now I'm starting to work with a few other people like minded people who are natural disruptors and don't want to go down the route of just taking money off of yeah. people we don't want to go down the route of well no I won't name some of the festivals that do it but because mm. that's not fair there's plenty of people support them but it's just not my way no. um, and that and this is the challenge the challenge is just like you've come up against this you've come up against the the people that's keeping you out because mm. they don't get they yeah. might be do you know what it might be they don't get you and it might be you just don't fit into what yeah. they want yeah that's and what they're I... too scared to set you in front of their safe punters yeah they have people a de- turn up for the bingo yeah, they have a demographic yeah they know what they want they know that this demographic is a guaranteed income they know they'll buy the tickets so they don't want to mess with that process but what they're doing is real like they don't realize that that demographic has a shelf life yeah and then by not bringing in the younger audiences and not trying to like market it to the kids or the teenagers, they're effectively helping themselves die out. Yeah, and that's it because it's, it's, it's mutual assured destruction. Yeah. Because what's happening now is it's like, why did that, why, what made me want to be a singer in a band? And it was listening to Roger Daltrey. Hmm. I wanted to be Roger Daltrey um, back in the day. And then like Ronnie James deal with yeah. Rainbow. I wanted that. I actually wanted to be a drummer and then realised about the back of the stage and thought, no, I'm yeah. not doing that. I yeah, you always look at like how much a drum kit is as well. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, and I, I was like, so no, but, just, but no, no, but for me, it was just, I wanted to be out front. <laughs> I wanted to be centre of attention. <laughs> I'm just being brutally honest. But the thing was, is that I was seeing Top of the Pops. I was seeing the old grey whistle test. Then in the 80s, along came MT. Where, where the kids see it now? Yeah. Where do they see some... So when, you see, so when I see young kids now, and they're, and they're like, we've got a band for Liverpool called Midnight Prophecy. They're all fairly young-ish. And we took one of them to, my fiancé works in a school, a primary school in Liverpool. We took one of the young guitarists in just before summer holidays. And he, he was showing them the guitars and showing them the gear and talking to them around about being in a band. And these kids were amazed. Mm. And he, he was shredding and showing them how to do it. And he was, they were like seriously blown away. Mm. Wanting to buy T-shirts, wanting to buy the seat. But the thing is, is they don't see it. Yeah, and this they aren't what, exposed to it otherwise. This is one of the things that, that we're currently working on, yeah. is how we're going to do that. Because let's face it, how do we get young kids, not young, but you know, 14-year-old yeah. up to, so how do you get them into get venues? Yeah. Oh yeah, they're, they're all right up till seven. Oh God. 
and the venue and what do you do with them and then promoters stay away from it well I'll tell you right now you playing in front of a load of 14, 15, 16 year old kids are more likely to be embraced and be liked than you are playing in front of the audience that people would expect you to be liked oh yeah by. 100% and that's this is what this is the challenge and and to be fair that was oh, I might as well go into it now you know obviously um, I started up for Jump which is artist management uh, company and it started mainly because I came out of the military after donkey's years mm. I mean don't get me wrong latterly for 16 years I was with a cadet force so I was over in West Yorkshire mm. and I came out in July I came out of it retired from it in July 2018 and I started like I, I used to do so much but it was like what do I do now and I've, I'd kind of like stopped listening to well not never stopped listening to music but not paying yeah, you don't catch up with like the newest yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah and all of a sudden I found an old mate of mine on Facebook who from Scotland from here and we used to be in bands together. He was a drummer mm. to a couple of the bands. And he was living in Manchester and he was playing in a band called Mouth in the South. And I'm like, hi, Brian, how are you doing? Oh, fine, no problem. Couldn't understand, he couldn't. And then I, I says, you don't do many gigs? And he's like, no, no, I find it hard. I says, all right. He says, why, what are you asking for? Do you want to help us? Because my background as well mm. is marketing, sales, etc., cetera, et cetera, and business. Because when I was in the army, I was, I was always reserve forces i was mm. never full time um so I, i'd always been in business and i was like yeah yeah I'll, I'll help you out the first thing i did was the first meeting was i found out that my mate was the reason why they weren't gigging because he was that busy with his family mm. and with his work he was the one that was always saying no so the first thing we did was actually sack him <laughs> still friends though yeah. um and then i realized i mean i thought i understood the music business although it had been now you're in 22 30 years mm -hmm. nearly between when I was in it and when I come in and I just found it completely different. it's worse now than it's ever been yeah. where everybody thinks it's easier because you've got social media and you can get yeah. yourself out there yeah. it's not because but that's the oversaturation of it and there's no mystique mm. you know yeah. we used to have to wait for the music papers to come the yeah. krangs and the sounds and all that yeah. to read about things and, yeah. and to wait go down and buy the album and yeah. listen to the damn thing even, I remember being a kid and me dad blowing my being like up until the 80s no one knew what Kiss looked like and even then with like Slipknot and Ghost mm. it comes out eventually in some way or another that's not the band's vision of how it was meant to be out yeah. and that you're 100% right and the mystique's gone from mm. that which for me works because it means obviously as a like a country artist I'm not meant to be that mysterious mm. it's like an accessibility thing where it's I get to talk to people and engage on that level but the mystique of especially like rock bands mm. there's no real rock stars anymore that can go forward from like really I think it's just this thing is is that and, and it's saturated overly saturated mm. there's far too many bands and there's too much being pumped and pushed this is that's the same yeah so anyway that before job and then I found the next thing I knew I got them a couple of gigs and I thought that was a manager's job was to get them some gigs found out that no that's a booker's job <laughs> and then it became really confused and it must have taken me I made a lot of mistakes um signed up a couple of bands that approached me oh you're doing you're working with them and they've said you're great so next thing I knew I didn't know how to say no and I literally had 30 bands because I wasn't and then I decided I wasn't going to charge anything for doing mm. it because bands but it was costing bands to play Yeah, you know it was costing them money and I'm like how do I take money off of bands who aren't making money themselves it yeah. just didn't sit right with me Yeah, well that is one of the reasons when I saw 4Jamp come up mm. as like this whole experiment where we're not taking a fee we're just going to help bands 
for the sake of helping bands. Mm. And that was instantly, I just knew you were one of the good ones because you, you see people online and it's even, I'll design a logo, but it's going to cost you. I'll do this, but it's going to cost you. And for someone to be openly saying, I just want to help you for the music sake, Mm. is still like it's weird how rare a thing that is and what i found is i found there's quite there's a few other people very similar mm. so you've got like alec raymer who's crazy cowboy yeah. and he's like that he just loves it he loves the lifestyle yeah he loves the bands he loves the music he's he's very similar to slightly younger but he's very similar to me in a lot of ways and that uh, we just buzz off it and um he's the same he, mm. he doesn't make any money off of what he yeah. does either and it was just one of these things, but then it opened the floodgates as soon as I was free. Interestingly, just what you're saying there, when I have these disruptor moments and I start thinking outside the box, whenever I ask for creatives to join us in the, the Viva La Revolution, yeah. as we call it, it doesn't come forward. No. Because they all want to make some money out of it. Mm. Even, you know, and it's, it's bad because they need to realise just the reality of what it is. Yeah. None of my, none of the bands that I work with are making money, no. and they couldn't live off it. No chance. Mm. In fact, a lot of them are subsidising it, and it, what they do, it's like they could go and play golf, and it would cost them money. Yeah. They, instead of that, they play music, and it costs them money to get out there and play in front of people. Uh, and it just isn't right. But it'll never change. I mean, recently, I did have to change a little bit because I had so many bands, mm. and I realised that so many bands would just want me to give them get them gigs, and I could do that, and that's when. I had started forging fire promotions. Mm. Started off as just one festival, and all I wanted was to give the bands that were working with me a, a, a great place to yeah. play, a great experience. We did it in, at the Loose Cannon in Manchester. Crowds were weren't they were great. They weren't mm. big. And what year did you put the first forging fire on? Um, October last year. October last year. Yeah, so late October, and it, w- it wasn't great attendance, but the people were there loved it, and the bands had a great time. Yeah. But what it did allow me to do was it allowed me to introduce the brand mm. and it allowed me eventually when I had I was starting to get approached by certain bands of mine that wanted more than just me to get them gigs mm. and a couple other bands that weren't with me were like join you need to do something you know you need to, we want you to make money so I was like oh, what do I do now yeah so that was when I decided to split for jump and Forza Fire Promotions. Yeah. So Four Jump now has about eight or nine bands. Mm. We take 10% of what we generate for them, mm. retrospectively. Okay. So if we're getting 300 quid, we get 30. Yeah. But it's purely and simply for two reasons. It's one which is that it, it basically covers admin. Yeah. You know, and it means that we have a contract with them so that if anybody comes in, and sort of tries it, which has happened. I lost one band because of that. Mm. Uh, they went with my blessing, don't get me wrong, but it did annoy me that, not that I was trying to tie them up, but I had done a lot of work on them. Yeah. Somebody came along, flashed some money at them, which wasn't really money at all. It was just vague promises. So I thought, and, and when I spoke to my other bands, I said, look guys, if you ever in this position, just tell me, you know, don't have me booking up a, a, a series of tours for you. Yeah. And then find out that you've been taught, you know, you're going to go with somebody else. Mm. Um, so they they convinced me to do it slightly different. So now what we've got is Forza Fire promotions. Yeah. So we still work with other bands that still wanted us to get his gigs, but now with that, the idea is we're doing all day festivals, we're doing weekend festivals, we're doing gigs. Yeah. We've now become um, in-house promoters for um, the Patriot down in South Wales, which is a great venue. Um, and it's, it's opening up doors and it's just unfolding before us. 
Um, but it's, it's, it's really good because what I'm able to do is I can bring, I can do a gig in Birmingham, put a Birmingham band on that's one of yours, bring one down for Scotland, one for Liverpool and one for West Yorkshire, mm. put them together and they're all playing in front of it. So the local band has got a crowd. Yeah. The other bands have been opened up to and just keep moving it around. Yeah. And that's where, where it's come from. So we started off, the first Fours and Fire Festival in October last year was, it was a lot of bands that had one metal. Mm. It was mainly metal. And it was nearly nearly all metal heads that turned up, um, and it was good, but I lost a fortune on it. Mm. I lost nearly thirteen hundred quid of my own money. Mm. But it it was a calculated gamble. Mm. A, I learned a lot from it. B, it was actually just to give them a good thing, and it was also kind of like we, we need to see how we do this. Yeah. So the next one in Liverpool we're doing is twenty fifth of April. So what I did with that was I brought in a couple of local bands because with nobody from Manchester in mm. the Manchester gig, which was a, a mistake, um, and, and bands that are not f- with us mm. but are slightly higher up and bet slightly better known. Yeah. So the idea is if they all bring in twenty fans, thirty fans, mm. we're going to have a big crowd. Because yeah. to me, it's I I don't make I don't take any money off off the promotion side at all. So what we do with that is it's purely whatever we make on the day gets split with the bands. So they all get a good whack, and that's mm. what it's always going to be. Um, yeah. That's what we do. Mm. Um, so the intention is, is always to get them in front of as big a crowd as yeah. possible. Cool. I think with, like you're saying, it was like not a big crowd for the first one, but I think would that, like, do, have they become a more engaged crowd? Because I think that's kind of what, like, um, Alec does with Crazy Cowboys. He doesn't have the biggest crowds. They sell out because it's an engaged core group of fans. I learned a lot for Alec. And I think that's something people really need to focus on is you don't want to try and attract a thousand people. If you attract a hundred people who give a shit Mm. and show up, Mm -hmm. most importantly, I think that's the key. You're right, right, because I went to to Crazy Cowboy 4, I think it was, and because Gallo Circus were playing, they're one of our bands, and I saw how he did it. And he's he's been brilliant because he's very open. There's no... And the same with Sean Haynes at KOL. Sean will just tell me, you know what I do is this and I'll go right and I'll look at it I might have to adapt some of the mm. things because everybody's different but that's why we have an affinity that's why we all work together yeah. especially myself and Alec um, and that's why we're doing the, the one in uh, October mm. the uh, Desperado one which mm. is we're both showing our country love yeah. love our country <laughs> and shorting a few people I think um, but uh, yeah you're right it is about engaging it's about getting the right venue and engaging the right people yeah. and, and having them come back for more because I made the mistake, um, I said earlier about, you know, being a natural centre of attention and show off. Um, when I came into music, I was very careful that it was not about me. and It was always about the bands, yeah. it was always about the music. That's why there's no images of me on the Facebook pages and social media. Mm. A lot of people don't even have a clue who I, what I look <laughs> like. They'll all talk about me, they'll all talk to me, they'll yeah. talk about each other, oh yeah. But they don't actually know what I look like. Yeah. And, I, and I did that on purpose. However, one of the bands said to me, he was quite ast- very astute. Said to me at uh, when we did the first one, John, you need to be less. You need to hide less mm. because what, how do you think Crazy Cowboy does it? Yeah, uh, like because it is about him. He says, "No, you don't want it to be about you." He says, "But you do want it to be about the brand." So that's why we started pu- really pushing the Fours and Fire brand as such because I want to do that. I want yeah. people to think it's going to be quality and like Crazy Cowboy. They know if they, but even if they don't know half the bands, they know that the quality yeah. over there, and they can do it. And I think the biggest test will be the outlaw. Uh, sorry, the one we're doing in October, which is the Desperado one. 
Um, and I think it'll sell out. Yeah, really? I do. Hopefully. I think we'll get 200 at mm. it. And if we get 200 at it, that's fantastic. Mm. And it's really funny because I think it will because it's different. Yeah. It's very different to what we've done before. Um, and that's what we're out to do. But all the disruption stuff that I want to do, that's what it is. I'll give you an example. Right now, I'm talking to young bands because I have this thing which is, it's just a new thing I've been working on this, literally this week. Who's going to appeal to 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds? If you think, if, if they all they think of is that, that that type of music is what they hear in Capital. Yeah. But if I can show them some kid, some young guys, or sort of young women in their own age group that are actually playing classic rock, mm. classic metal, country mm. yeah. rock, whatever. Yeah. That's going to get them. That's going to be like, wow, didn't yeah. even know that existed. Because it's all about, like, you can be what you see then. Because mm. if you just see, because it's even from, like, my perspective, it was obviously I grew up, like, I'm a massive fan of Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jens, all these, like, older people. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but there's no one really like me mm. that's playing it, so will it even work? And then it wasn't until I saw, like, Amigo the Devil and Sean James and then met people like Josh Bettis and Stevie O'Connor, who are my age, to be like, oh, shit, there's actually... The Plot Hounds is another oh, one. Oh, the Plot Hounds, yeah. They had another one that oh. I was like, wow, who, who is this? They are These so are good. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, like it was, I think I, you put it on Facebook. Yeah. I, I was like, wow, I love them as well. But I think this is what it is. But it's like one of the things that I want to do, and this is to go back, this is why I was asking for video people and all mm. that. What I want to do is... I want to replicate some of the stuff that was done, like the old grave. We're not going to put a crowd in. We're going to do cyber gigs. Oh, yes. Right? So they're playing to the camera. So we're giving these young people, or anybody who wants to look at it, yeah. the idea that it's going to be, this is what it's like to be down the front of a gig. Mm. Look how close you are to the singer. Yeah. Look how you can feel the sweat coming off the guitarist as he's thrashing the hell mm. out of that guitar. This is what it's like, guys. Because they don't know. Mm. They don't know that they like the music like they like the yeah. food now. It used to be when you cut, traveled to different countries or traveled the country, you went and you found, and everywhere you went, you found something different to eat. Now they just go to McDonald's, whatever city yeah. they're in a town, or KFC, and they know they're getting the same thing. They stay in hotels, they stay in the Premier Inns, and that's because they know what they're getting. And their life is like that. Yeah. Well, they don't know what we do, they don't mm. know what you do. You know, and that's just, so one of the things I'm working on just now is the gig we're doing the 25th of April at, EB, at um, Zanzibar we're looking at trying to get to keep it on the Sunday mm. bringing the bands that are actually we manage not just the ones that are playing back in and do cyber gigs nice especially and, are you looking at doing it on um, like the social media apps so yeah Instagram, social TikTok. media Instagram YouTube yeah put it on YouTube because let's not be kidded if we don't adapt if the, yeah what is it, what's the old saying if Mohammed won't come to the mountain and the mountain has to come to Mohammed. we yeah. have to do that Yeah. we have to seek them out we have to get into the when they're willing to sit for hours watching a gamer online playing a game that they love but they're just mm. watching somebody play it yeah. that kind of tells you what's yeah. changed we need to sit, get in front and shock them out of that yeah uh, a forged and fire twitch will yeah. do really fucking well yeah and, and I think it's just one of these things that we, we but the problem is is that like I said before a lot of these creatives that, that we need to help are so short-sighted they just want oh no i want 200 quid now i don't have the money to do this no. you know i'm just a working yeah, but class then it, guy it separates who gives a shit about the mm. scene and who gives a shit about like actually creating something of value and content mm. as opposed to people who just want to make a quick book well that, that we were talking to angela draycott who manages the the patriot 
And one of the things she's been working on is be able to do live feeds, you know. And I'm like, that's cool. She mm. says, but people tell me not to do it because it might stop people coming to the gig. I says, people come to the gig, I says, but it'll open it up. Yeah. I says, but what we need to do is we're, we're raising money for it just now is to put in really good recording stuff. Mm. So every band that plays will get a live recording <sighs> that sounds great and a live video. They can take away with that mm. and do with the light with it. They can use that for the EPKs. Mm. How many times do you get this? Have you got any live footage of yourself? Have you got any good recordings of yourself? Uh, well, that's going to attract bands to come and play the venue, which is a great venue anyway. But it's also like, you know, we'll pay you. Whatever you get, the least you'll get paid is, is your petrol money. Yeah. You know, if we're doing an introducing nights and Friday nights. Yeah, and every first Friday every mm. month we're gonna have an introducing sort of all new bands that don't have a following. Do you know what? Yeah. We'll put them in there, but we'll record them. We'll put them out there, mm. and that's what we want to do. But it's going to take more than me. Yeah, it, and yeah, Alec, it's going to take more. And this is what it's about. And even like the opportunity to sit here and talk to yeah. you about it. You know, if we don't, if the people that are passionate about music, mm. new music, let's not be kidding, new music, don't get off our asses yeah then it's going to die yeah well this is why i wanted to do like a podcast because it's another medium that's growing mm. and it's given me like because obviously i know you i know alec i'm going to be trying to get on the podcast hopefully on saturday mm. it's i know enough cool people that are in this like revolutionary grassroots campaign that i think this is an invaluable resource for people mm-hmm. so it's all the young bands coming through if they ever i don't know who's going to listen to this but if someone listens to this and can take value away from people like yourself talking then it's gonna help just feed this like fire obviously this is going to be listed for free on itunes and podbean and all this so it's just another way to get the message out there well it's like doing the front podcast yeah you know when it's out on a friday it's the first thing i listen to Mm -hmm. on a friday morning when it's out and to me i love it because it's so honest and you get to hear bands you've never heard before yeah. from all over the world. But, you know, we need more of that. We mm. need... And, and they don't make money at no. it, et cetera. It usually costs them money, I would guess, as well. Um, but this is what it is. We need to attack it at every single level and every single media and medium. And we can't just sit back and wait for it to yeah. happen. Yeah, and no it's one not going to happen. Yeah, and no one can put themselves ahead of it. Like, if you think you can use this as a platform or a stepping stone to further your own career hmm. and not help the people that are alongside you, then it's just you're going to be doomed from the start. Well, it's, and everyone is on the same front line pushing forward. Angela had somebody recently who was a drummer of a very, very, very well-known, um, huge global band. Hmm. Um, he's doing his own tour, and he's notorious for not liking to have support bands and she basically said to him you can't play my venue unless you take on one of your local or young Mm. or new rock bands because if people had done that with you 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 wouldn't wouldn't be where you are 100% but she had to she had to stand up and say well that's that if you don't do it don't accept it then you're not playing Mm. but not many do that because I knew another promoter that just went oh yeah okay then and that's so wrong yeah I can't imagine thing because i remember when i saw kiss on their last tour like it was meant to be their end of the road final tour and they brought a fucking performance painter with them i was like you could have given an upcoming band the biggest platform in the world to do this 
but you brought a performance painter on, which in itself isn't art, but he was just doing things that they were then selling off. You the would be show. shocked at just how some of the bands and some of the prices I've been quoted for my band, approaching me mm. to put our bands on their support packages, uh, like support slots. The money that's being quoted is flabbergasting. Yeah. I've heard about like people being paid to go onto support slots and oh, yeah. I know it's an industry thing but it just There's seems a Canadian so... rock band hard rock band who were never big ever ever mm. and I was recently one to two Europe in the UK and I was recently quoted 800 euros a gig Jesus. and they're expecting one of my bands for Sheffield or Liverpool and get this it wasn't even you could just buy what into, into I don't know that I said so basically what you, I said to the manager I said come back when you're Iron Maiden <laughs> you know yeah. but I don't think even Iron Maiden would ask that but th- this band and what they were trying to do was they're not obviously not confident they're going of, to pull of, of, say, bringing people in so they're going to make sure their costs are covered Yeah. and it's how do you do that I, I don't know how anyone in a good conscience who's come up in this industry and actually gives a shit about this would turn around and do that no it's just it beggars belief it was like um, when I did the gig in Manchester a lot of the bands I said to them look you know I've lost a fortune you know if it goes well I'll pay you if it doesn't then you're investing in your own future but one of the things I did then it was traveling farther they wanted to I put them up in a hotel mm. didn't have them in some crummy place that like, you know I put them in a decent hotels and stuff like that so that was part of it um, but it's risky as a promoter as well because yeah. like I know if I don't sell out or nearly sell that out, it's going to cost me money again. Mm. And this is one of the things that bands need to be more active. Yeah, They think they promote... They, I see all this stuff about slagging off promoters, and don't get me wrong, there are a load of rubbish ones. There's a load of crooks. There's a load of amateurs that are... And I included myself in that. Like, But we need to apply proper business. Thing. But the bands need to promote yeah. it too. You can't just sit back. I mean, the good thing about when I announced the Desperado one tonight, I only put it out at six o'clock, but there's so many shares in it. Yeah. And the bands are putting it. Because you know what? As I say to her bands, you promote it. You sell tickets. They come to see you. You have a fantastic day or a fantastic night and you end up getting the money. Because mm. I don't take it. Yeah. But a lot of bands just think, sit back and go, it's all about the music. It isn't. Music is a business. Uh, I've there's been recently I've set up a um, Facebook group that's like a private one, and it's only got musicians in that I like know and mm. deal with. And the amount of people I've turned around to where it's like they kind of lament the fact they have to be on social media. It's like, well, if you want to be successful, you not even be successful. If you want to do anything in this day and age and have people come out to you, you need to be active on social media. You need to be like in the real world promoting your shows as well. Well, it's, it's, it's business. Yeah, sharing one of product. them page once doesn't. The isn't music, enough. if you just do it by music alone, it's about image. It's about putting on a show. Yeah. If you're going to be a rocker, be a fucking rocker. If you're going to be a star, act like a star yeah. in the right way. Push yourself. Yeah. It's such a, and I say that to other bands. What makes you think? I know you think you're the best thing for slice of bread. No one else does. Nobody else does. And you might be, but you're going to have to go out there and yeah. tell them. And don't expect me to stand back and do it all either, because mm. that's not going to happen. Yeah. I says the people that do that will be charging you £20,000 yeah. to do that. They can do that and can make or break you. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just, they are, they bemoan the facts. So what's the difference between you spending six hours in a week on social media, mm. pushing your gigs, etc., etc., to spending six hours 
writing a new song mm. because it's all part and parcel. Yeah. There's no part. There's no point in you having the best music in the world if it's if nobody hears it. Yeah. Or sees it. So, for promotion, just because sometimes bands and people just don't know what the fuck to do with it, what would you think if we could do top five things a band should do to promote a show? To promote the show as is get it on to, you know if, if the promoter has put it out as an event social media and Facebook you have to share it you have mm. to comment you have to keep doing it yeah especially the discussion page of the event the yeah. more active that gets yeah. the higher up the event goes yeah, the more exactly. engaged I'll is. be honest with you I'm not a social media expert um, but I think that's one of the things and the other thing the most successful ones like Alex for example will send out personal invites yeah. to people you know that yourself because when we did the Crazy Cowboy Northern, which mm. you're playing at, yeah. that was so funny. By the way, I need to tell you about <laughs> that one. That was when he said to me, he says, uh, "That's really cool guy. He's from up your neck of the woods." And I says, "All oh, right." And then, then then you contacted me. We were talking about when I was looking to do the the Desperado yeah. Festival, and then we was Alec and I were talking. I says, "Yeah, Mike West is playing." It went, "What?" My Mike West, it's not fucking your Mike West, it's my Mike West, and I would just laugh because I didn't remember. He told me, Crazy Cowboy, that, mm. you, that he discovered you and he thought you were amazing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, after, you, you know, you like, reached out to me, so it just shows you there's yeah. a small world. But yeah, one of the things you've got to do is, is do that. Bands yeah. should be doing that. Yeah. At the end the, of the, the day... The bare minimum is should be the event page put on your Facebook, yep. shared and put stuff in it. Yeah, and then, and then if you've got friends that are like, so like, for example, the one we're doing in Liverpool, King Voodoo will send that out to all their mates. Yeah. Personally, invite them. Probably, I would hope Midnight Prophecy are doing the same. Mm. Uh, Lost Sovereign. Because it's easier for them. Because guess what? At some point, they're going to be playing in South Wales, where it's the Welsh bands doing that. Yeah. Playing Glasgow, where it's the Scottish bands that are inviting their friends because it's not as far to go. Mm. I mean, I had a band say to me, oh, well, why don't you put on a bus to run from Manchester? To South Wales, says, we just but if we wanted to play in front of a Manchester crowd, we're doing Manchester, mate. Yeah, you know it's not about just filming the venue; it's mm. about new. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's kind of basic stuff like that. Is is raising your problem. Keep putting interesting stuff out there. Yeah, when you're recording or, or when you're recording, when you're going to a gig, watch King. Look at King Voodoo's. They did brilliant. Every time they're traveling anywhere to a gig, yeah. hey, this is us on our way. Blah yeah. blah 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 blah. Little bits and pieces. One of the things that I want to do as well is is in some of the like Imagine You Rock Band's Facebook page do it really, really well. So they'll have a band on sort of 6 o'clock on a Thursday night or 7 o'clock on a Thursday yeah. night and it's them live for the concert, talk, chatting, yeah. talking about things. And it, it's all that. It's everything. You need to do everything. Yeah. But you just, you need to look at social media. It's creating engaging content. I've been fucking around with it lately. I don't know if you saw I did my horror video. Mm-hmm. Where it was oh, yeah, yeah, my yeah. fucking cat at the end. Yeah. But it's trying to create something that not only engages but like gets a reaction out of people mm. so event page social media engaging posts and um, actually creating physical media i print out and make flyers and then try and find places i think like tattoo eyes tattoo mm. shops yeah bars record stores and actually going in and making a real no, actually, actually, if you sound if you give someone fly a flyer post. yeah you get into trouble for it, but you, you used to do that. But you, we would all, we would go and find shops, or like record shops yeah. back in the day, or here or whatever cafes. Mm. We'd put posters up, yeah. Because if that attracts three people, it wasn't going to come. Yeah. But people have got out of the old ways. Sometimes the old ways are the best. Mm. They think, and I know some promoters that are 
pretty well known promoters that all they do is put it in social media yeah. and expect that to work. And then when the, the band turns up and says there's three people here, well, I don't understand that. I shared it in every group. But there's hundreds of yeah. people sharing that shit. Yeah, especially if you think just sharing it to a Facebook group because I see gig after gig after gig. I don't post in Facebook groups anymore because I just know it's going to get drowned out in the sea. Mm-hmm. But if I send it to a select few people mm-hmm. and I actually physically leaflet it and hand it into people mm-hmm. and make a personal collect- connection, it's going to do so much better than sharing it onto one Facebook group that's instantly going to get buried. Mm. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you because know, if you look at you look at New Wave of Classic Rock, mm. I mean, there must be hundreds of posts a day. Yeah. You just get, and I'm not knocking them because it's just they've created a huge Yeah, it's they've created something community. that's spiralled and I think they're slowly, not losing control of it, but they're not knowing how to channel it because there's so many people posting things. I think the away. danger is as well that and I don't mean just them specifically, but I mean in a lot of cases, is it becomes a less than hidden agenda. Mm. And, you know, when it's the same bands that they talked about all the time, and it's not, like I say, it's not just their pages, it's everywhere. Mm. You know, it's like the festivals, the same friggin' bands that's on it. Well, come on, for fuck's sake, there's hundreds out there. Mm. You know, there's thousands of bands out there that are brilliant. You yeah. know, don't be lazy. But they're going to blame the bands themselves because they're, they're sitting about waiting for. The miracles to happen. Yeah. Get off. I mean, if you were the way I, the analogy I used le- recently was, if you made a product and you just felt well, so. Let's say you made some sort of furniture, and you just sat it in your shed, and it was amazing. But you sat in the shed waiting for somebody to come to notice it and go, "I'm going to buy that." How successful would you be? Yeah. <laughs> if the manufacturers are cat food, all they did was keep it in big warehouses and expect people with cats to try and find them. Why do we think we're different? Yeah. Music's no different. I think that is, I think especially with artists, they hate thinking of it as a business, mm. but it is. I think I was lucky because obviously I've been obsessed with Kiss since I was a kid. My dad gave me the Gene Simmons autobiography way too young, but he talked about how he marketed back in the day. And they were probably the best. You know that, you wanted the greatest band in yeah. all that world. You've got the greatest yeah. band in the world. Their branding and the way they market themselves off the bat was a massive influence on me from when I was in the thrash band to now. It's, if Kiss can do that and get somewhere with it, if you do anything less, why would you expect to get An alternative, if you read Dave Heller Slade's autobiography, mm. when, they went to, when they went to America, it killed them. Mm. It really killed them. And... And that and this is it, and it's like if you watch this like three hour and a half videos, and it's about Iron Maiden, and you learn. I mean, Rod, he was a beast. Yeah. He flogged them to death, but he created them the way they were. Yeah. He, you know, they used to sit outside in the van waiting for the band not turning up, or just gate crash a gig and say they were the band that was supposed to. <laughs> it was all sorts they did. Yeah. But you know what? It's and and nowadays, in them days in, in that area of London, there were four, 30 gigs a night. Now the be two yeah. venues, and that's the other thing because people keep bemoaning about venues disappearing, but it's not just venues; it's pubs. Yeah, people aren't going out yeah. for nothing, and this we need to drive the excitement. Yeah, we need to make people say, you know, I reckon nowadays half the time if you put a band out the back door, they shut the blinds because if the sun was too bright, because <laughs> it's just a so out of the habit of actually going and doing anything nowadays. Yeah, and that's why the pubs are shut. So it's not just venues. We have to sell our wares. Yeah, 100%. And then if we don't, we die. And if we don't look at new ways of doing things, we die. Mm. And that doesn't matter what the music is or how good a band you are yeah. or a singer you are. 
you need to understand the business. One of the things that we're currently working on is se running seminars. Mm. And be totally honest, we will probably become public enemy number one of a lot of other management companies who take money up front. Mm. But we're going to set up, like at the Patriot and places like that, seminars where we bring in experts to tell yeah. new bands the truth. That's so valuable because I do, like, I'm signed up to the PRS. Mm. So they do seminars in Liverpool, mm. Manchester, and Ireland. So I go to those. Tipping Point are another one who do seminars and i went to one which was about the music scene in liverpool mm -hmm. and i went i was dead honest they were like well what do you like about the liverpool scene i was like nothing to it's be honest shit. it's shit i people was like always, people always say to me can you oh can you get us into liverpool yeah. guys the beatles have gone a long time ago yeah. you know yeah. i says unless you're going to play covers yeah. Yeah. you can't get into liverpool one yeah. i was put in a group with uh, these two women who were the head of like one festival i can't remember and there was another like grant scheme there and they were like well, why are you here? And I was like, I honestly want to be proven wrong because as a musician, I don't find anything in Liverpool and I don't get why. If it's such a good city for music, why isn't this happening? Which is why I've tried to bring my own gigs to it and put on shows. And it's these type of seminars that are invaluable and not enough musicians go to them. I'm having to put that gig in EBG, uh, sorry, the one in the 25th of April hmm. in Zanzibar. I was selling tickets at Fiverr with 11 brilliant bands on. Mm. And people say, oh, you're undervalued, you're undervalued. But I don't care. They don't realise that Liverpool is not a live no. venue. It's not a live band venue. It, it talks anymore. a good Manchester game. Manchester is. Manchester's phenomenal. But Liverpool isn't. And I, w I live here. I want mm. to, as you can tell by the good accent, but I want to I want to change that if I can. Yeah. And, and you know, that's why I share other promoters in, that, in Liverpool that dare to put their hand in their pocket and yeah. put thrash metal wins or whatever you know I, I will share it because yeah. you know bloody what it's a hard old fight out there yeah. there's a us. rumbling going on there's a quite a good punk scene but for actually getting a lot of people out to gigs and creating a good culture that's not in the indie bands or cover acts or tributes or fucking karaoke to actually create something's going to take a lot of work in the northwest especially merseyside i think the problem here is that we've become the blackpool mm. you know people come because it's such a beautiful city center there's so much to do that they almost come in and it's like they want the nostalgia the beatles yeah. and they'd rather go to a hundred different pubs with people singing Beatles songs yeah. than somebody singing their own song yeah, that they wrote three weeks ago yeah. maybe about the beatles <laughs> but it's it's just you know i don't want to be sound like a crotchety old guy yeah. but but i think that's why as you calling yourself like a disruptor you need to see what's wrong with something admit there's something wrong mm. and then what should be done about it a lot of people either live in denial or it's working enough to their advantage that they'll let it slide yeah and and, and that's it and i i will i see in the military days, in the army days, one of the things that we had to look at was is like your job as a leader was to make sure that when you moved on, there was somebody there mm. able, capable to take over from you. And I think that's our job is to try and create a scene that's more vibrant for the new ones yeah. that's coming up in the next lot and then create people to think like us. And I think that's why the things like I'm going to do and don't get me wrong I'm not the expert in this I'm far from it but I'll bring in the Alex of this world mm. I'll bring in what you for what you know about to talk to people that are trying to do what you do mm. and, and sit there and it'll all be valid and it'll all be free yeah all be and that's free. the main thing and it's because I just know a lot of people I talk to musicians I go are you set up on PRS they go no and I was like well for every gig you could have got royalties for that it's not much 
but it'll be gas in the tank down the road why aren't you signed up to that why haven't you registered your songs it's such these little music admin things that people don't take account of that will add up in the long run it's too short-sighted at the moment i think and i think that's exactly right and they need that and it, do you know why it's because it's boring yeah they just want to be stars <laughs> yeah but i recently was talking to a band who had been offered a couple of grand for their album to sign up and i says but what do they want for what they offering you two grand for well you know blah, blah. i said wait here's a question to ask who owns the songs mm-hmm. turns out they wouldn't have owned their own songs I says it's two grand guys it's not worth it 200 grand maybe 20 grand maybe yeah. at the level you're at but two grand if, it yeah. costs you more than that yeah but we've spent X amount on recording I says yeah but guys you're thinking of where you're at just now what if in three albums time you you smashed America yeah you're all over the world if there's one thing if anyone ever listens to this podcast don't sell the rights or the masters to your own songs oh god no there's so many If you, you can just go back in time and see how many horror stories from um, the Beatles because Michael Jackson owned their masters for a long mm-hmm. time um, Buck Owens had, I, think, I think McCartney owned Buddy Holly's yeah at one point yeah, Buck Owens owned Meld Haggard's for a bit and mm. um, Porter Wagner owned Dolly Parton's Elvis tried to take Dolly Parton's there's so much again it's short sightedness if you hold on to your own copyrighted material even in the long run if someone's offering you two grand or something now for that it's ridiculous well Dolly Parton was talking about it the other day that um, Elvis wanted to do I Will Always yeah, Love You but he would only do it if he he owned the song and she just she says I couldn't do that to myself I couldn't do that to my family yeah but a lot of people probably would have yeah. gone with her that's and what it wouldn't makes... be Elvis as well it would be Tom yeah. Parker yeah because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's businessman for yeah. you but the thing with us is that you just need to give me your eyes open yeah but I don't think anybody's teaching this no and if they are maybe it's they're old school yeah or they have a not so hidden agenda yeah i don't like i wonder if it's a, a callousness or a like ignorance is bliss type of thing from the music production side of things where the less bands and artists that know how to do this type of thing mm. the easier they'll get taken advantage of it allows it allows people to make money out of ignorance yeah but there's also that i would i would call it laziness in some mm. parts there's books out there you can buy and read. Yeah. How to how to make a all living the information. How to make there. a living out yeah, uh, you know music. Yeah. It's a great book if you're a musician. I bought it and tried reading it from my perspective. I just couldn't flip it mm. enough. But I gave it to my American guy, and he's like learned loads from yeah. it. But it's like him. He's the most engaging guy. Do you know what? Here's this is one you're talking about. When you play it in a venue and you're an artist, mm. talk to everybody. Yeah. This American guy will fucking talk to anybody. He went round the liver hotel, you know, just in the mm. corner down there. There weren't that many people. And it was scorching. We managed to get scorched on day in Easter. It was about 80 mm. degrees, I think, uh, which was really funny because as they came in, these three guys were sitting outside smoking, saying their broadcast accents, and I can't do the accent. You must be sweating your tits off, man. <laughs> and he went, what do they mean? Because he was in his full country, Western gear. But anyway, but that guy went around every single pit. Pe- we couldn't get him out of the pub that night. Everybody was buying him a drink. <laughs> yeah. Even though there might only be 30 or 40 people in. Yeah. But do you know what? They bought a shitload of merchandise off him. It's making an engaged, real connection mm. with people. Yeah. Which is invaluable. And I, and I bet, yeah, between every second I thought so was, hi, I'm Dave Rose, because he knew that some people might not have been there the last time he said his name. Yeah. So don't say it at the beginning and at the end, hi, we but you know, you know, in a, in a situation like that, think mm. logically. You're selling 
your waiters. Yeah. And even if you don't like if you don't like the sound of this, and you think I'm just talking like a businessman, I used to be a singer in the band too, and we didn't do it enough. Mm. You no, know? definitely. It's because I remember I've walked in halfway through a band, and I'm like, "Who's this?" And then they don't say it at the end. Mm. If it's not at the beginning and the end, at the bare minimum, you've done something wrong. Oh no! At least you have a backdrop. If or you've got a backdrop, then pop ups at the side of the stage. Yeah. One of the cleverest things was we saw this old happy band and like happy folk band, um, and it, we went to a gig. And it was the old schoolhouse in Barnsley, and it is literally an old schoolhouse. And um, they had a simple thing on all the tables, a little bit of paper, mm. with their Facebook links and yeah. like when they're gigging. And that was like, and that my big American was like, I'm having that yeah. put it in his pocket. Guess what he does now? He's got business cards. Yeah, he's got everything. Anybody says hey, here, take that. Yeah, if and he's, his Spotify has got thousands of followers yeah. now because of that yeah if I do a gig and there's tables there's seatings there's any flat service it's got business cards and stickers on and take merchandise with you guys mm. if you can sell t-shirts and uh, anything you can sell and have different price points yeah if somebody can only spend three quid and you've got a bottle opener yeah. have it yep you know don't just think all oh, your t-shirts are 15 quid if you've got an EP sell it for a fiver not a tenner yeah because you, you know if you can sell 20 at a fiver or ten, at ten pound, you get the same amount of money. Mm. But the twenty that you've sold is twenty different. Is ten more people yeah. that's listening to your 100%. stuff. You know, it's just people are stupid. Yeah. And it's like that. They want twenty quid for a t-shirt. Fucking me. You're buying it for fiver. Sell it for a tenner. Yeah. Hundred percent. Because I know it's even big bands now. I see like established acts trying to sell t-shirts for thirty pound. Oh yeah, yeah. Easy. And I went to Dead Daisies and I think they were wanting twenty last year, the year before. In Liverpool, and they yeah. went by far. They went to the worst. Yeah, but I think even there. I mean, I think I went to see the script. Yeah. Um. Yes, I do like the script. <laughs> One of the best live bands I've ever seen, and I'm not joking. Mm. And uh, they, their t-shirts were like twenty-five, thirty yeah. quid. But do you know what? You can't sell albums now because it's all downloads. So where do you make your money? Yeah, it's got to be the match. But it's from me. It was seeing these t-shirts go for thirty pound. I was like, I'm never gonna sell yeah. a t-shirt over. X amount, and then sometimes if I'm doing a gig, and the headliner actor selling it for X, I'll knock my prices down a touch to be the cheaper alternative for it. Because I've known if I've been to a gig and someone's selling a T-shirt for thirty pound, but the support act selling their vinyl for twenty five pound, or no, sorry, fifty. That's good businesses, mate. It's like yeah, yeah. Because the thing is, if the majority of people are there to see the headliner act, you're not the headliner act. Then the only the other way to do it is to do it cheaper. Yeah. And do you know what? It's always fear and love and war. Yeah. And and yeah, it's good. That I hadn't actually thought of that, but yeah, yeah it's exactly what I would so do. So for like half the price of the headliner's t-shirt, I got the support act who fucking killed it on vinyl for fifteen pound. Mm. I got them all to sign it. I had a boss talk with them, and to me, I was like, worth its weight in gold. And it was because the support acted not just. I don't know if they intentionally underpriced the headliner, but you have to because you want the headliner. Mm. You have to know your worth compared to other people's. And yeah, you also got to think of the things that's different about you. It's like Ian Day, who's a singer with Gallows Circus. You know, he'll always say like at the end, right, we're coming to our merch stands over there, come and say hi and get a sweaty hug. Because he sweats <laughs> like, you know, I've seen more meat in a butcher's pencil, <laughs> but he sweats like buggery on stage. But you've no idea the amount of people got up to get that sweaty hug. Yeah. And while they're there, they'll sell the merchandise. Mm-hmm. They'll buy merchandise from them. And, and it's that sell the dream sell the yeah. sizzle yeah 100% I think that's a good place to end on I've kept you here for an hour and five minutes I think 
that's a really good place to end it so thanks so much for joining us today man and um, we'll get this out and i'll do a preamble for all your forged and fire events and we'll get that sorted but thanks so much for being on today dude no cheers mike it's just good to get the opportunity to actually hopefully enlighten yeah. some people as to the realities of what yeah. they need to do 100 well this was super helpful and i really think people are going to take something away from it so thank you so much so there we have it i really hope you enjoyed episode three of into the van with john craig forge amp and forged and fire are really interesting ventures and i think if you enjoy music you enjoy the heavier side of music and you enjoy the independent side of music you should definitely give forge amp and forged and fire a like on facebook follow all the social media channels i'm doing a gig with forged and fire and john on the 17th of October, it's the Forged and Fire Desperado Festival, and it's at the Patriot, which is in Crumlin, I believe, which is in Wales, and I love playing Wales, I love driving through Wales, there's a bit where I come off the motorway, I take the turn and into Wales, and just the valleys open up, and it's just gorgeous landscape, and I truly enjoy traveling around the best thing about being a musician is i visit places i've never heard of i've never been to and i get to see things along the way and the day i get sick of looking out my window as i'm driving around and seeing the gorgeous countryside and the gorgeous sights of the uk and europe or wherever i am that'll be the day i pack it in but until that day i'm going to keep traveling around and finding new places learning new things sitting in city centers for a bit to see what the vibe of that town's like i always enjoy that and yeah, I'm looking forward to going to Crumlin, Wales on October the 17th for the Desperado Festival. Please check out Forge Amp and Forged in Fire on social media. If you haven't given myself a subscribe or a like on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever, please, please do. It helps a lot, I've been told. And the main thing is listen to it. And if you give a shit about it, let a friend know. And that's all I can really ask. So... Thank you so much for listening to episode three of Into the Van. We'll be back with episode four, and I can't wait for you to listen to that one. Thank you so much. Stay safe, guys. Peace.